Well, good evening. Welcome to Sunday evening service. We are going to start with hymn sheet number 393. We're going to sing the first and last of each of our songs today. So we'll start with the first and last of 393, Blessed Assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior, I'm happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Well, good evening. I hope you can sing that as a testimony tonight. Uh, so it goes right straight to the heart of the theme of the morning message today. Uh, the blessings that we know in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and those being occasions and motivations uh, for us to praise the Lord. Uh, praise the Lord. So we do uh, thank the Lord tonight for all of those blessings. And let's open tonight with uh, uh, a prayer of praise. Father, we do thank you. We praise you uh, for your many blessings. We praise you, Lord, for working in this present trial. Lord, only you know all of your purposes, but no doubt there are good purposes uh, that are completely consistent with your love. Father, I thank you tonight for uh, providing for your people. I thank you, Lord, for meeting the needs uh, of our church family. I thank you, Lord, for protecting the health of our church family. I do pray, Father, for those that uh, are suffering any kind of affliction tonight. Lord, I pray you'd put your hand upon them, that they would know your grace and Father, that you would deliver from trials as you see fit. Uh, Lord, I thank you tonight that uh, even a trial can be a blessing. Lord, you get our attention through trials. You grow us uh, in the midst of trials. You teach us to trust you. You grow our faith. Father, you call us to obedience in trials. And in that sense, they are indeed blessings. And Father, we do praise you tonight. Lord, we Thank you tonight for all of your blessings. Lord, I pray that you'd work here in our service tonight. And Father, I pray that as we sing that there'd be a joy in our hearts. Lord, help us, give us a heart to praise you, to bring you honor and glory in our worship tonight. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take our hymn sheets as we turn to number 502. Again, we'll sing the first and the last of number 502, Stand Up for Jesus. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. To him that overcometh, a crown of life shall be. He with 
the King of glory shall reign eternally. Amen. And we'll turn right over to our third song, number 627. Take your hymn sheets to number 627. We'll sing the first and the last of Oh, How I Love Jesus, number 627. There is a name I love to hear, I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. It tells of one whose loving heart can feel my deepest woe, who in each sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight, please, and turn to Psalm 141 tonight. Psalm 141 tonight, please. Uh, back on Resurrection Sunday evening, we were in Psalm 140, and th these two psalms really are uh, companions to one another. Uh, they seem to refer to, the, the historical context seems to be the same. Uh, David, as he often was, was facing an enemy. It probably refers to uh, a, a time of trial with Saul, and uh, we see David's uh, response to and his, his prayerfulness and his reliance upon the Lord in the midst of trouble. Tonight we see uh, more of David's prayer in the midst of a great uh, problem, a great trial, I mean to say, and uh, more broadly, his conduct, his desire that his conduct would remain righteous and holy and God-honoring. Uh, in the midst of a great trial. And so it seems to me that this would be a particularly relevant psalm uh, for us to spend just a few minutes into tonight. We are in uh, a great trial indeed. Uh, we are in a great trial indeed. God understands that. He knows that. Uh, thankfully, he knows our needs as well. Uh, take your Bible, please, Psalm 141. It's 10 short verses. Let's uh, read uh, together here tonight in Psalm 141. Uh, the Bible says it's a psalm of David. David prays in verse 1, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. He continues, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hand as the evening sacrifice. He says, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. Incline, verse 4, incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Let the righteous, this is an interesting verse, let the righteous smite me, it shall be kindness, and let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Verse 6 says this, When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. Verse 7, David says, Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth. No doubt this describes a, or pictures a great trial. And when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth, but, verse 8, but mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord, in thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. Verse 9, he continues, Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me, and the gins, the traps of the workers of iniquity. He says, in conclusion, Let the wicked fall into their own nets, whilst that I withal escape. We'll look at that word withal as we close tonight, but... Uh, at this point, let's stop and pray, and, and we'll return to the beginning. Father, I thank you uh, tonight for this psalm. Thank you uh, for David's heart. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for his 
desire in the midst of what is clearly pictured uh, as a great trial, bones being scattered at the grave's mouth, poetic language, Lord, but uh, certainly a picture of a time of great difficulty, uh, great trial. Lord, you've seen fit to allow uh, great difficulty, a great trial in our lives at this time. And so I pray that this inspired response of David, uh, his prayer, uh, his heart, uh, his desires, his conduct in the midst of a great trial, Lord, this be an example for us. Father, that you would help us tonight to take up this example, uh, to apply this example to our own hearts, to our own mouths, to our own contact, uh, conduct, to our own prayers. Lord, tonight we need your grace and your strength to do that. I pray first that you give us a, a desire to do this. Uh, Lord, that this be a pattern and a template for our own response to trial. And Lord, that uh, having taken up that desire uh, to pattern our response uh, according to this template that you've given, Lord, that you give us not just the desire, not just the pattern, but the grace and the strength and the courage and the comfort and all that is needed, Lord, to live this practically. Father, I thank you tonight that we can look to you, Lord, for grace and strength. We can look to you for help to live your words. Uh, thank you tonight that you're a powerful God who desires uh, to impart your power into our lives for your purposes. Lord, I thank you tonight that we can live according to your words because of Christ, because of your strength in our lives, because of your indwelling presence in our, in our lives. And Father, I pray that you'll help us now, help me now uh, in just these next few minutes as we look at these short 10 verses Lord, give us a heart for your words. Help us to have hearts that are yielded to you now. And I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when you get in trouble, the first thing what we tend to do, Brother Ray, uh, is cry out for help. There's all kinds of folks that we can cry out to, but honestly, we understand uh, the first person should be the Lord. And that's exactly what David did. Uh, he uh, there's all sorts of people he could have turned to, but uh, he understood that um, no matter what, the first person we cry out to uh, in the midst of a trial should be the Lord. And we see here, this is exactly what, what happens, what David alludes to first. He says, Lord, I cry unto thee. This is David praying in the midst of a trial. Uh, this is not a little whimper. This is not a, oh, you know, I'll get around. I'll, I'll say a half-hearted prayer. He's saying, I cry unto thee. Uh, he, ha he has this wonderful, urgent desire uh, for God to hear his prayer. There's, there's an urgency, uh, a quickness to pray, and, and, a, and, and an urgent desire, a burning desire that God would hear. Uh, he says, make haste unto me. Uh, Lord, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. This is a man who understood the value, uh, the power of prayer. Uh, this is a man who, uh, having understood that, desired not just to pray, but that God would quickly hear. Uh, and no doubt he was a man who, who looked to God to answer his prayer. Uh, see verse 2, this is a wonderfully uh, important verse, and in some ways alludes back to the theme of our morning message today. See uh, verse 2. David says, let my prayer. So this is his prayer. He's talking to God. He says, Lord, let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now, in your notes, make this note. We see here David desired that his prayer would be pleasing to God. He uh, yes, he had needs, and they were practical needs. Uh, they were spiritual needs also, but uh, David had enemies. He had Saul, Absalom, and others who, who came against him. He had practical needs for protection and deliverance from, from those trials, those, those threats. Uh, but David, uh, as much as he desired that God would answer his prayer uh, and meet the practical needs, David understood that perhaps much more importantly, was that his prayer would be pleasing to God. Uh, he desired that his prayer would be pleasing to God. That is, that is um, very much implied in the language uh, of verse 2. See it again, please. He's praying. He says, Lord, let my prayer be set before thee as what? What's, what's the I word there? Uh, it's incense and the lifting up of my voice 
as the evening sacrifice. Now, think back to the historical context and <clears throat> the place uh, and the process by which God was worshipped uh, there in uh, both the, the wilderness in the tabernacle and later on uh, in, the, in the temple, uh, back in Exodus 25 and verse uh, chapter 30 and uh, Exodus 35, uh, there are various references to the incense that were used in the wilderness tabernacle, that place where God came, where his presence resided, where God was worshipped uh, and served in his presence. Part of the worship that happened there, as you know, uh, was the use of this sweet incense. The incense is called sweet, Exodus 25, 30, 35. And it was to be burned there at the tabernacle, both in the morning uh, and in the evening. No doubt David is making reference back to that. He understood that the incense, as it burned, that sweet incense burned and made its way up, it was picture, picturing the prayers of men going up to God and, and the sweetness of those prayers uh, as they were received, as they were heard by the Lord. Uh, the, the prayers go up to God and, and they're sweet to him. And, and so David draws on the illustration uh, that is um, pictured by the sweet incense as prayers going up and being sweet, being pleasant, uh, being pleasing uh, to the Lord. And so we see here David's heart, his desire that, yes, God would hear his prayers, but first and foremost, the, the number one most important thing that could be accomplished in his prayer is that God would be pleased, that God would be pleased as he heard his prayers. Now, I said there might be a parallel there this morning, uh, uh, this evening to the morning message. We looked at the blessings that all believers know uh, that are ministered to us first by the Father and by the Son and by the Holy Spirit. Now, those blessings have practical value in our lives, but there's great spiritual importance in them beyond just what we obtain. Uh, we saw there in Ephesians 1 this morning that God desires that the blessings that he ministers to us in our lives would be an occasion, would be an impetus for us to praise God, to bless him, to praise him. Uh, he blesses us, we praise him. Uh, we pray to God for things that we need with the understanding that our prayers please God. Uh, you see, in the end, all of these things, all these things are much more about the Lord than they are about us. And so I stop and I ask uh, you, I, I ask you tonight, uh, is it your desire? This is a question for me too. Is it our desire to please God in our prayers or is it the case that we tend to be more focused on and honestly more interested in just getting what we want from God? I know sometimes we, uh, well, you, you've grown perhaps beyond that point, just wanting to get, get, get from God. Uh, we, we pray yielded prayers. God, if it's your will, give me this. Well, that's, that's a good next step in our maturity rather than treating God like some kind of uh, divine Santa Claus who just gives whatever we ask for. Uh, we, we grow beyond that and we say, God, uh, if it's your will, give me this. God, but it's still focused on getting from God. Don't misunderstand me. It's, it's not that it's wrong to ask God for those things that we need. Uh, indeed, he, he commands us. He teaches us to do that. But beyond that, it is, it is a very mature uh, understanding to have that when we pray, and seek things from God according to his will, he is pleased. He is pleased. And that is a much higher, uh, much greater purpose than just getting the things that we need from him. God is pleased by our humble, yielded prayer. Ultimately, that is a much greater good. It points to a much greater value uh, of our prayer, not just getting from God, but the opportunity that we have to bring pleasure, to bless God, to please him uh, through humble, yielded prayer. As we so often say, uh, don't forget, according to Revelation 4 and verse 11, 
Uh, we're here for God's pleasure. Uh, all things, including us, are created for his pleasure. That's his, that's his purpose. Of course, he desires to commune with us and to shed his love upon us, uh, to save us, to have a relationship with us, to hear from us. But ultimately, uh, God's purpose uh, is to know pleasure in, in all of these things. Uh, and there's nothing... Um, there's certainly nothing wrong uh, with that at all. He's God. This is his desire. David understood that. He understood that as he prayed, uh, as he prayed, he desired that his heart, his heart's desire was that his prayers would be received by God as, as sweet incense, as a pleasing, wonderful thing uh, in the face of God. That's that's. Uh, an important thing that we don't want to skip over tonight. Well, let's move on. Uh, let's move on. David prays now uh, regarding his, his, both his heart and his conduct. Uh, here he is in the face of some kind of trial, uh, whether it was a difficulty with Saul or some other thing. Uh, David seems to understand that as he faced that trial, that there might be a natural tendency to respond to that in a carnal way, to respond to that in a way that would not be biblical, that would not be pleasing to God. I think we understand that temptation tonight. Uh, a difficulty comes along, and, and, and our natural temptation, our natural tendency is to respond to that in a natural way. Uh, maybe it's to worry or, or to fear, or maybe it's to, to strike out at something, to uh, to, to whatever it is, you, you know your own tendencies when difficulties come along. Uh, our natural tendency is not to go to the Lord and be faithful uh, and to be trusting. Uh, we have a tendency to respond with other things that uh, are, are, are not at all uh, honorable in, in the eyes of God. Well, David, he desired that his heart and his conduct would be God-honoring in the face of this trial. And so I uh, I want to encourage you tonight to stop and, and get this point. Uh, we do have a natural tendency to respond to trials in a way that is not honoring, that does not bring honor and glory to the Lord, but is, uh, is, is quite dishonoring to him. Uh, see this. David prayed, uh, first of all, the Lord would guard his lips uh, in the face of this trial. He says in verse 3, uh, he prays in verse 3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. A watch would picture a guard or a watchman. Uh, set someone before my mouth to guard it. Lord, you be a guard uh, at my mouth. He says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Uh, don't let anything come out that door that should not come out that door. Uh, I caught myself responding to frustration this week with words that were not uh, comforting <laughs> to the person that received them. Uh, they certainly did not bring honor and glory to the Lord. And so uh, I certainly understand this temptation and the importance of, of David's prayer here. We all have a natural tendency to respond to trials in a way that is not God-honoring. Uh, and one of the most common uh, ways that we respond naturally is to say things that we should not say. And so David's response is to pray, Lord, guard my mouth. Lord, guard my mouth. Lord, guard my mouth. Do not let things escape that would not be right or righteous uh, or pleasing to you. Uh, back in, back in uh, Psalm 17, in verse 3, uh, David wrote, he writes, I'm I am uh, purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. He had purposed in his heart in earlier Psalms to have a mouth that would not transgress against the Lord. In Psalm 39 and verse 1, uh, David writes, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. David had purposed in his heart ahead of time that he would not respond to difficult situations, to great trials with words that would not be pleasing to God. Ahead of time, 
He had purposed that in his heart. And so now that he finds himself in the midst of the trial, here in uh, chapter 100, Psalm 141, uh, he's praying, okay, God, help me to do what I have purposed in my heart. God, I decided ahead of time that my words would remain righteous in the midst of a trial, and yet, Lord, I'm reminded now in the, uh, in the fire, in the midst of the trial, that I'm going to need your help to keep that decision. Listen, whatever it is, whatever it is in your life, uh, the same thing is true. Uh, if you will purpose in your heart ahead of time to not do this thing or that thing, whatever sinful thing that might be, when this temptation comes or when that temptation comes or when we're in the next trial, Lord, I purpose ahead of time uh, to not give in to the temptation uh, to disobey you as, as you've instructed us in your word, uh, but whatever you intend ahead of time, that's good, but don't forget that you are going to need to be prayerful and relying upon the Lord for his strength to keep that uh, pledge that you made to yourself. Uh, Lord, help us to, to decide ahead of time uh, to be godly. But Father, help us also to remember that we will need your help uh, in the midst of the trial to be godly. Thank you, Lord, that we can because of your power in uh, your strength. So David had purposed ahead of time to have a godly speech in the face of great difficulties, and now he asked God to make that possible. Well, having done that, uh, it only made good sense for David to ask the Lord to guard his heart too. Uh, remember, the mouth is really directed by the heart. Uh, remember that our, our hearts are the thing that, that really directs our actions. Uh, our conduct in trials is going to reflect our heart toward trials and certainly also our heart toward the Lord. And uh, whether or not we have a, a heart to respond in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord uh, is a big part of that. So uh, David, yes, he prays that his words that uh, he responds to trials with would be godly, but he understands that at the root of that is the heart. The heart behind the words uh, is the thing that matters. What is it that's in your heart? Uh, is your heart bowed before the Lord? Is, is there a desire deep down in your heart to bring honor and glory to him uh, even in the midst of trials? Well, David had that heart, He's, and he prays in verse 4. He says, incline not my heart to any evil thing. God, don't incline my heart to do evil, uh, to practice wicked works. Do you see there that he associates a heart to do something with the doing of something. He says, incline not my heart to do evil, to practice wicked things, wicked works with men that work iniquity. Uh, he says also, let me not eat of their dainties. Let me not desire the things uh, that they have that might not be uh, spiritually good for me or that would bring honor and glory to you. But uh, the more important uh, point for, for, for tonight is understand that it's the heart that drives action. A heart to obey the Lord uh, is a heart that will yield to conduct that brings honor and glory to the Lord uh, in the midst of trials. God, give us a heart to obey you. Listen, I say this all the time. I, I guess I'm a broken record this way, but if, if you find that you just don't have a heart to get right on certain things, or you, you just don't have a heart to obey God here, here, and here. Understand, that grieves the Holy Spirit who indwells you. Understand, there's no pleasure for God in that. Understand, that kind of heart does not lead us to a place where we're fulfilling our purpose uh, of, of God's pleasure. God created us for his pleasure. Understand that without that heart, it's going to be very hard for us to accomplish, to fulfill our purpose uh, for being. You need to stop and pray, God, give me that heart. God, give me a heart to desire to obey you. Uh, God, break up my heart. Break up the stony ground of, of my heart. God, give me a new heart to desire to please you uh, through a righteous walk 
with my Savior. David understood the tongue would ultimately be controlled by the heart, and so he prayed, God, uh, give me a right heart. Uh, in Psalm 119 and verse 36, the psalmist prays, Lord, incline my heart unto thy testimonies uh, and not to covetousness. God, give me a heart to have more of your words rather than more stuff of the world. Uh, God, God give, give me a heart for you and, and your words uh, more than just worldly things that I can possess for a time. I incline my heart unto thy testimonies. That's, listen, beyond praying, you're going to find you, God's going to feed a heart for him with the, the food that is his word. That's what we need. That's, that's how God will give us this heart. You don't have to turn here, but, but make a note. 1 Kings 8 and verse 58, uh, that's Solomon. Uh, 1 Kings uh, 8 and verse 58, uh, Solomon's desire. We see there that Solomon desired the Lord incline the people's heart unto God to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments uh, which he commanded their fathers. Solomon's desire was that the people would have a heart to obey the Lord. Uh, that's a heart that God laid upon him. That's a heart that God gave him. Uh, and, and so uh, he, he, he prayed, he prayed for that. Of course, don't forget, Jesus has taught us to pray uh, in this regard as well. Matthew 16, where the Lord is teaching us uh, his model prayer. He says, lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us from evil. Make that. Uh, I want to urge you tonight, if that's not part of your regular prayer habit, please take that up, <laughs> the, the Lord's model prayer, uh, and, and, and be sure to include in your regular prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Give us a heart to obey you. Uh, protect us from temptation. Give us a heart to obey you uh, and deliver us from evil when temptation comes. So David cries out to God. He has a heart that God would hear him right away. Uh, he has a heart that his prayer would be pleasing to God. Uh, he has a heart that God would control his mouth. And this is getting into his conduct in the face of a trial, during a time of trial. God, you control my my mouth, and God, you control my heart. Let's stop there and, and get this thought down, please. If you are praying, Brother Ray, if, if we are praying that God will control our hearts and God will control our tongues, we are necessarily, or at least implied by that prayer, is an intention to yield our hearts and our mouths to God's control. You really have to stop and think about that. It doesn't make a lot of sense to say, God, you take my heart, give me, give me a right heart. God, you guard my lips. Unless in that prayer, we intend to yield our heart and our tongues, our mouths, our lips to the Lord. We yield and God controls. If you have difficulty controlling the things that you say, or if you have difficulty controlling your actions in some part of your life, if there's a sinful habit, by the way, sinful habits are, are sinful. You get that. Sinful habits are sinful. Sometimes there's a tendency to excuse something by saying, oh, that's just a habit. Uh, that's a bad habit. Well, if it's a sinful thing, it's still sinful, and you can't excuse it by saying that's just a bad habit. Uh, it's a sinful thing. If you say, well, it's, it, Pastor, you don't understand. Uh, it's, a ha it's become such a habit and has such a strength and, and a grip on me, I just can't break that habit. I don't care what it is. Uh, it could be smoking, whatever it is. You, you know what it is. Uh, you'll, you'll not have a victory over that habit until you yield your heart to the Lord in that area. You say, God, I don't, you're, you're right, I don't have any control over that, but I know it's wrong, I, and so I confess that, I agree with you. God, as David purposed in his heart, uh, that, that his heart and his lips would be right before you, I purpose and I make that decision. That is my desire uh, to turn from that thing. Uh, but Lord, I, I understand I've got to yield to you and find your strength. I've got to yield control to you 
in that part of my life in order to get a victory over that sin, that habit, whatever it is. Don't pray for God's control unless you are prepared to yield yourself to God's control. It really doesn't make any sense uh, unless you intend to yield yourself to the Lord. But do that. Uh, do that, please. Where there's sin, where there's conviction, where you can see God uh, correcting you, yield to the Lord uh, and find his strength to turn from that thing and to put on obedience in place of disobedience. Uh, we see more of David's heart here in verse 5. Let's keep going, please. Uh, more of David's heart. Uh, Dr. Sorensen said uh, of verse 5, he said, here we see David would rather be criticized by the righteous than to be accepted by the ungodly. That's a convicting thought, maybe. See verse 5, he says, let the righteous smite me. Uh, it shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil. Uh, which shall not break my head, uh, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Uh, Dr. Sorensen says David prefers uh, the bitters of gracious company to the dainties of the ungodly. He would rather be smitten by the righteous than feasted uh, or celebrated by the wicked. Uh, Lord, give us, give us a heart, please, uh, to accept criticism uh, from the righteous, to be criticized by the righteous, uh, more to have a heart more for that than to be accepted uh, by the ungodly. Listen, I appreciate when I get feedback on a message, uh, a sermon, a lesson, whatever it is, something I've done or, or not done. It's not always easy uh, to receive that feedback, but I would I would much more have your feedback, as critical uh, as it is, uh, not that, that I get a lot of that, but as critical as it might be, I'll say, uh, I would much rather have that than to be uh, just accepted by ungodly people. You understand uh, what, what the Lord is saying here through David. Uh, it's, it's much better. Uh, it's much better to have righteous people exhorting you to a greater righteousness than it is to have uh, unrighteous people just accepting you and your unrighteousness. We need correction. We need it. We should desire it. Uh, we should desire it wherever it comes from. And ultimately, it's offered by the Lord. And that is a blessing for which we should be grateful. Skip down to verse 7 tonight. We see here David, um, despite facing a great trial... Uh, or perhaps because he's in the midst of a great trial, David keeps his eyes upon the Lord. Look at verse 7. Here's the trial. Uh, the language is, is very harsh. He says, Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth, as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood uh, upon the earth. And picture that scene. That is not a pretty scene, Zachary. That's a gruesome scene. It pictures a great trial. It pictures a great threat. It pictures uh, great harm being done. Uh, and so rather than uh, just focusing on the trial or the threat that is at his door, uh, David takes his eyes off of the threat and he puts his eyes upon the Lord. He says, but mine eyes, verse 8, are upon thee, O God, the Lord. He takes his eyes off of all that's bad, all that is threatening, and he turns his eyes uh, from that to the Lord. Now listen. I understand all the time pastors say, well, listen, you're, you're in a great difficulty. Just put your eyes on God. Just, just keep your eyes on God. Look to God. Every, everything will be fine. But we, need, we do well tonight to stop and uh, ask ourselves, what does that really mean? When the pastor says, hey, just put your eyes upon the Lord. Uh, maybe you're depressed or you've been anxious. The pastor says, well, listen, you've got to take your eyes off of yourself and, and put your eyes upon the Lord. That's, that's always true. We, we always def default back to focusing our attention upon ourselves and upon our difficulties and uh, fears creep in with that and uh, fear creeps in with that and depression comes along with that. Those are all good partners. Uh, and we do need to take our eyes off of those things and off of ourselves and, and put our eyes upon the Lord. But what does that really mean? What does that really mean? We say it all the time, but what does it really mean to do that? Well, we, we see in the passage tonight what it meant to David, and, and this is the, the word of God, so 
perhaps here we have an inspired definition or inspired insight into what does it really mean uh, to put your eyes unto thee, O God. What does that mean? Here's what it meant for David. For David, uh, it meant this. It meant that he was choosing to put his trust in God. You see that next part of verse 8. So verse, beginning of verse 8 says, But mine eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord. My eyes are on you, God. I'm looking to you, God. What, what, what does it mean to do that? David says, in thee is my trust. The word that's translated trust has the idea of fleeing to someone or something or some place for protection. It means to have hope of safety. Uh, it means to make refuge or to find refuge in some place or someone. Uh, it means to trust. Uh, to trust is to do those things. Uh, David is turning his eyes off of uh, terrible threats uh, and turning his attention to a trustworthy God. Uh, that's what it means to take your eyes uh, from where they are and to place them onto God. It means to trust him. You, you look to him because you're choosing to trust him to give you what you need in the midst of a trial. Now listen, it wouldn't make any sense uh, to look to God uh, unless you were looking to him as a God who is trustworthy and faithful, uh, a God who is able and willing to provide what is needed in the midst of a trial. Do you, do you trust? Do you trust God to be there for you in the midst of a trial. And maybe you would say tonight, well, pastor, I've got to be honest. You know, I've been in some trials and uh, it has seemed at times like God has not been there. Uh, so to be honest, my, my trust that God will be there for me is, is a little shaky if I'm being honest. And so that is why I don't always look to God uh, when I should, according to the word of God. And to that, I would say, well, that's an honest answer. And I appreciate that it can sometimes feel that way. But please be reminded tonight that uh, what, what seems to be the case is very often not the case. Uh, it can very often be the case that what, feel, what we feel uh, is not often what really is. Please remember tonight that our feelings can uh, be very uh, unreliable. Our feelings are not trustworthy. Uh, if you feel that God is not there for you, well, that's an unbiblical thought. You've got to retrain that thought according to the word of God. The Bible says that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. He is there for us in the midst of trials. Uh, well, pastor, I, I've prayed and, and God has, he's not always answered the way I wanted my prayer to be answered. Well, you answered your own, your own point. Maybe God didn't answer the way you wanted because God's way was better. When Paul prayed three times, thrice, that that thorn in the flesh, whatever that affliction was, uh, that God would take it away, the Lord said no. Uh, God's answer was no. Uh, God's answer was, but my grace will be sufficient for thee. Uh, my strength will be enough for you to endure that. And, and, and Paul went on to understand that God, uh, God's purpose for allowing it to continue on was to keep Paul humble in the midst of uh, things, uh, ministry opportunities that might have caused him or at least carried the threat of him becoming very prideful about those things. God has purposes. God has purposes. Uh, David put his eyes upon God, choosing to trust God because he understood that God has always been trustworthy. And God does not change according to the Bible. He has always been trustworthy. Uh, well, what did, what did David um, pray for? What did he trust God for? Uh, David put his eyes upon the Lord and, and, and trusted the Lord. Uh, not just in a general way, but in a very specific way. He, he prayed and, and he trusted God to not leave him destitute. That's the next part of verse 8. Now, he says, leave not my soul destitute. So there was, there was a risk. There was a threat at his door. And he put his eyes upon God. He says, God, I'll trust you. Uh, and then he, he, he prays this very trusting prayer. God, leave not my soul destitute. Destitute has the literal idea of being left bare. Uh, it pictures the idea of being left unprotected, 
uh, or emptied out. That's kind of how we use the word today, right? Someone who's destitute, their, their pockets have been emptied out maybe. But it has literally the, the more literal idea of being left bare uh, or unprotected uh, or unprotected. David uh, might have felt unprotected. Well, he's praying to God, who is a trustworthy God, to protect him. And while he may have felt unprotected as he takes his eyes off of the, the threat and, and moves his mind off of the thought of, oh, I'm unprotected here. Uh, I'm greatly, there's a great risk here because I'm unprotected. No, he rejects that thought and he puts his eyes on God and he trusts God to not leave him unprotected, but rather to be his protection. And of course, we can trust God and pray to him for the same thing. God, protect me, please, in the midst of this trial. God, protect me from coronavirus. And God, if you allow me to become uh, infected, uh, God, protect me from developing a, a severe case of COVID-19. God, protect me. You can look to him and, and pray and trust him to be your protector. David prayed as well and trusted God for protection. Uh, not, not only that, that he would not be left unprotected, but that God would protect him um, from the enemies. He says in verse 9, you follow with me. Verse 9, keep me from the snares which they have laid for me uh, and the gins of the workers of iniquity. Snares has the idea it's a trap, literally an, an open hand that pictures a strong trap or a powerful trap. We saw the word gins a couple weeks ago back in 140. Uh, it refers to a noose or a trap that might have been used for small animals, but a trap. He's, he's praying, God protect me specifically from the traps, the devices of mine enemies. He's praying very specifically and trusting God to answer in a very specific way. Well, David prayed uh, and trusted God also, number three, that, that God would uh, deal with his enemies so that he might at the same time escape them. Uh, he prays this uh, imprecatory prayer against his enemies in verse 10. I want you to see this, and I want to just uh, close tonight. We'll do this quickly. I want to just give you a little study on one of the words in this verse that, that may be less familiar than, than others. In verse 10, he prays, let the wicked fall into their own nets. So he's prayed, God, protect me. He's trusting God for protection and, and praying, God, protect me from the, the traps that my enemies have laid out before me. And then he goes on and he prays against his enemies. He says, God, you know what? Rather than me um, trying to get those enemies, Lord, I, I pray that you would deal with them. God, you deal with them. He says, Lord, let, let those wicked, let the wicked fall into their own nets. Let, let them be caught by the same traps that they laid out for me. Let them be caught up in their own devices He's, so that I could escape at the same time. The Bible says this, let the wicked fall into their own nets, whilst that I will withal escape. Now, the, the, the language of the second part of the verse there, the end of the verse, I want to just talk about that just for a second. I want to teach you a couple things about the language that's used here, whilst... Uh, has the idea of while, if you were talking today, we might say while uh, that I escape. Uh, but the word that's translated here is actually the word underlying withal, whilst that I, withal, all translated from one word, uh, one word. Now look at the word withal, look at that on the page. Uh, the English word withal seems to be a contraction of, of two words, withal, withal, understand that. Uh, do something with everyone or, or, or do something uh, at the same time with, with all. With all seems to be a contraction of those two words, a shortening uh, for a convenience. Now, the word with all, it conveys the idea of togetherness, uh, togetherness uh, or sameness among people or things or time. Uh, it conveys the idea of being together with others or together at the same time, or things that happen at the same time. It has that idea. It can be used in slightly different ways. So look back at the verse again. He says, whilst that I withal escape. At the same time that my enemies are being caught up in the nets or traps that laid out for me, uh, Lord, you allow me to escape. 
You, you catch them up in the traps they laid out for me, and at the same time, uh, I will escape. That will permit me time uh, to escape. This is the idea of this word, uh, with all. Take your Bible, if you would. I want to just illustrate this one other place in Acts 25 and verse 27. Just turn there real fast, please. Uh, in the New Testament, Acts 25 uh, and verse 7, the word with all uh, is used here as well. It's used in the same way. Uh, here in Acts 25, uh, this is where uh, Festus is declaring the matter of Paul's imprisonment uh, to King Agrippa and Bernice. He remember the scene there. And he said, he explained, Festus explains to King Agrippa and, and Bernice as well. He says in Acts 25, 27, for it seemeth to me unreasonable, he's speaking about Paul, to send a prisoner and not with all to signify the crimes laid against him. So Paul was there um, in custody, uh, in, in uh, Felix's custody. He, he was there in custody, and uh, Festus wasn't quite sure what to do with him. He wasn't quite sure what Paul uh, was guilty on. Uh, he wasn't quite sure how to pass him along to Rome uh, unless he had some uh, writ of habeas corpus, if you will, some description of his crimes that could go to Rome at the same time that Paul went to Rome. See the verse again. He says, For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, uh, and not with all or at the same time to signify or to describe the crimes laid against him or the crimes that he's charged with. That's how uh, the word is being used. That's how David is using the word here in Psalm 141. So uh, that's a lot uh, to say about one word, but it's important that, hey, if we're going to continue to use our King James Bible, and boy, we need to. We need to stick with this Bible. I learned of another Baptist church that's moved away from King James Bible recently. Uh, that, it's not okay. We, we do not have another English translation that is an accurate translation of God's inspired and preserved words. And so we need to stick with this Bible. It's critically important. Uh, in Matthew 4, 4, the Lord calls us to live according to all of his words. We've got to have a translation that has all of the words so that we can live according to all of the words. Yes, in God's strength, but we've got to have these words. And so we can only find that in our King James Bible. So we've got to be prepared to deal with some words and phrases that are not familiar to us in 2020. Uh, and so as we encounter these things, it's my heart to take a moment and, and share and teach uh, how we should understand these things. So uh, with all here seems to have the idea of at the same time. So when you see that, uh, you'll see that it's generally used that way. It can be used a little bit differently in other contexts, but it's generally going to mean uh, at the same time. So let's bring it back to what David's saying. He's saying, God, you protect me. God, you be my protector. I, I'm, I'm not going to be caught up in fear and anxiety and, and worry uh, as an enemy is at my door threatening me. Instead, I'm going to take my eyes off of them and I'm going to look to you. And God, I understand that means uh, to trust you uh, if I pray about my specific needs, God, I can trust you to be a God who hears those prayers with the same urgency with which I pray them and a God who answers those prayers. And God, as you see fit, you'll protect me. You'll not leave me bare. You'll not leave me destitute or unprotected uh, in the face of a threat, but you will be my protector. You will be my buckler, my shield, my high tower, uh, other, other uh, similar uh, ideas that we see uh, throughout scripture. David had that kind of confidence in God because over and over again, he found God to be a reliable answerer of prayer, a trustworthy God in whom we can learn to place our trust in. So we see here in the midst of a great trial, David's conduct. It wasn't, oh, let's panic. It wasn't, oh, let's flee to some things in the world that could comfort us, drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever it is. Uh, David fled away from an enemy to God. He put his eyes upon God. He cried out to God 
He trusted God and prayed about the very specific things that he needed in the midst of his trial. We need to do the same thing. He prayed, God, protect my heart and my lips in the midst of a trial that my conduct not be unbecoming of a believer, of a man of God. We need to be praying the same thing. We need to be a people who have a strong Christ-honoring testimony in the midst of a trial like the one that we are in now. And we can because of Christ. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, tonight for David's example. Lord, it's an example that has made, been made possible by you working in David's life, working in his heart. Father, I pray tonight for that same heart, Lord, to have a, a strong example of godliness in the midst of a great trial. Lord, we pray tonight for your strength, your power, your conviction um, to turn to you daily in the midst of this present trial, uh, to cry out to you, to put our eyes upon you, to trust you with very specific needs that we have in this trial. Lord, we do pray for your protection. We pray that you would not leave us destitute or bare. Father, we thank you tonight that you are a great protector. Lord, I know tonight, I understand that you may see fit to allow uh, one or more of us to, to come down with this uh, disease. Uh, but Father, you'll, you'll have good purposes in that, our correction, our growth. Uh, Lord, I do, that said, I do pray tonight for your protection. And I thank you for the confidence and trust that you can protect whenever you choose to. Lord, I pray for the protection of, of each and every one of our church members. God, I pray tonight for uh, your financial provision for all of our members. Uh, it is a time of financial trial as well. And Lord, uh, I pray that you'll just continue to provide and meet the needs uh, of our church family. And Lord, for those who have more, I pray that there will be a, a heart and a willingness to give uh, for, to those who have less. And Lord, that um, in within our church body, that there would be a, a willingness to help meet each other's needs at this time. Uh, Lord, what a great love there is in this church, and I, and I thank you for that. Father, I just pray tonight for each of us to have the heart that we see here in this passage, uh, hearts right before you, mouths right before you. Lord, eyes fixed upon you, trusting you for all that's needed in the midst of this trial. Lord, that we might have a testimony that brings honor and glory to you. Father, I love you. I thank you tonight. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us online tonight. Uh, on Wednesday night, our plan is, Lord willing, Zachary uh, will speak for us. He'll preach for us on Wednesday night. So uh, please do be here on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We'll have online prayer time. Uh, shortly after that. But keep Zach in prayer this week, if you would, as he's completing his preparation. Just pray that God will use him greatly on Wednesday night. Thank you for being with us today. Zach will come and lead us in a closing song, and we'll be dismissed. Thank you. All right, we'll take our hymn sheets and go to number 526. And we'll sing the first and the last of Bring Them In, number 526. Hark, tis the shepherd's voice I hear Out in the desert, dark and drear Calling the sheep who've gone astray Far from the shepherds all the way Bring them in, bring them in Bring them in from the fields of sin Bring them in, bring them in Bring the wandering ones to Jesus Out in the desert hear their cry out on the mountains wild and high Hark, tis the master speaks to thee Go find my sheep where'er they be Bring them in, bring them in Bring them 
them in from the fields of sin. Bring them in, bring them in, bring the wandering ones to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word once again. Lord, I pray that we would uh, make practical application and be comforted with that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. 